Uh, if this is your first Sunday to be with us, welcome back um, to a sermon series called Summer School, Lessons for the Church. And this is our fourth Sunday in this uh, sermon series based off the, the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Um, summer school was never fun for anyone to think of, and, and there were many reasons we talked about in the previous Sundays why you would go to summer school. Either you got behind, uh, we had a very disruptive 2020, and just when we thought 2021 was getting better, now we have a little more of that uh, disruption going on. So these letters are so relevant to the church today, just as they were in that first century uh, church. Today, we look at Pergamum. It is the third of the seven churches, and some say that if Ephesus was the New York City of Asia Minor, then Pergamum would be the Washington, D.C. of Asia Minor. Um, Ephesus had large commerce. Uh, it was a seaport. Uh, Pergamon is about 25 miles inland, and it was the center of government for the Romans in Asia Minor, as well as a uh, religious center. It built the first Roman temple to the god Roma in 29 BC, and for us, as we think about how cities hold many, meaning, it was to Romans and to those who lived in that day, just as Jerusalem is to the Jew, just as the Vatican is to the Catholic, Mecca to the Muslim, and this is one I didn't know, and I'll probably mispronounce it, uh, Lumbini to the Buddhist. That is the birthplace of Buddha. So if you wanted a god of agriculture, a god of decadence, a god of wisdom, a god of healing, this city had that god. It was a hodgepodge of pagan worship. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me please to Revelation, the second chapter. If you are using a King James Bible, it probably says something like Pergamus. Uh, that is the difference in a female or a male uh, version of that word, which really is a word, one of the first of these three letters that you have a sub-meaning other than just being a proper noun. That word can mean uh, tower, it can mean fortified, and if you saw that city, how it sets on that hill, uh, I think you could easily get the understanding of what Pergamon means. So I've invited you in the past few weeks. We typically haven't done these over the years I've been here, but let's stand for the Word of God. And uh, you'll recall, as I said, if you have an old school Bible where the words of Jesus are in red, uh, this is probably in red because you'll be reminded at the beginning of each of these letters, it is Christ who's speaking to the church. Verse 12, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I love how he, he lifts them up. I told you, we do this in counseling. Here are the good things. Now let me tell you the bad things. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teachings of Balaam 
who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. May God add his blessings to what? The hearers and the doers. Very good. Some of you have heard that line before of the word. Please have a seat. Now, recalling our framework, once again, I'm, I know I've got some folks in here. This is probably the first time you've ever been here, and uh, maybe the last time you're ever here, but I hope you come back. Uh, this has kind of been fun for me to do this because, quite frankly, I've never preached through Revelation, and somebody told me last week, were you going to go all the way through the book? I said, oh, no, I'm going to stop at that seventh church, maybe something after that that would tie them all together. But in any event, uh, this has been fun because... Uh, we call it summer school, and just like summer school, here's my framework. You get a report card, so each church gets a report card. Each church has some homework assigned, and then each church has a reward. And that's the way, basically, each letter is set up with what you've done right and wrong and what you need to work on, and then what's going to happen if you do overcome, if you do stay faithful. So recapping uh, from Ephesus, I think I have the report card in there. The average, and once again, this is Cliff giving grades, and you say, what are you doing giving grades? But he says, I know your works and how you have been faithful to me, but you have left your first love, and I agree, you have this one good thing, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which you hear about today, okay? So that overall grade, I gave them C+, which, as I said, Whenever I got a C plus in certain classes, I was happy with that. I know you shouldn't be, but I was. So let's go on then to last week was Smyrna. And uh, just to try to impress you with my uh, lack of knowledge, I always tell you when I really don't know something, I have to look it up. Panetics is the uh, study of suffering. And uh, they had suffered so much. Uh, and for the sake of the Lord, I gave them that A plus for suffering. Also gave them an A plus in finance because he said... Although you're very poor, and I know how poor you are because they couldn't get good jobs because of their faith in Christ. And it was in a pagan culture of Smyrna where they were living and they weren't, there were Jews there who were against them. But he said, even though I know how poor you are, I know you are rich. And we talked about the riches that God gives us that transcend this world. And also, they were faithful in the midst of persecution. So overall, A+. Plus. Today, we look at uh, the grade card or the report card for Pergamum. Now, I know some of you already gone, okay, they got a C plus on the next thing. Well, we need to talk about each of these, so let me just spend a little time with uh, giving them an A for attendance. You ever had a class where the teacher gave you like 10% of your grade just for showing up? It doesn't happen a whole lot in graduate school. Uh, it doesn't happen a whole lot in college. It may not happen even, in, did it happen in your high school? No one? You never got great? Okay, let me put it to you this way. If you didn't come to class, could you fail? There you have it. So there's something about attendance for you going. Um, <laughs> Otto Brechtel, I, looked, I found this guy this week. Otto Brechtel, B-R-E-C-H-E-L. 
was from Pennsylvania, and he lived from 1890 to 1990, and in those hundred years of his life, he had perfect church attendance for 88 years. 88 years, he never missed church. I don't know what happened to his first 12, or if those were split between, you know, early years and his latter years when he couldn't go. Lived to be 100, 88 years, perfect attendance. But I want you to know that perfect attendance in church doesn't mean anything if there isn't a change of heart and a change in your actions and your deeds. So, going back to those classes that I had, that I thought you might have had, that they actually took attendance. Okay, let me just ask that. Did they ever take attendance when you went to school? There you go. So there had to be a reason for taking attendance. If it didn't impact your grade, there was some reason you needed to be there. And some of you even had classes where you had assigned seats. Any of you ever have a class where you had assigned seats? Church is kind of like that. Because there are some of you who have assigned seats. And you mess me up when you sit on the other side. And I hope that you never are that person... Because we've all heard preacher stories, and some of us, I had it happen to me in seminary. I was told, don't sit there. That's my seat at a church I was visiting. Could you imagine a visitor, someone who is coming looking for a little hope, a little love, a little comfort, a little inspiration? Sorry, you can't sit there. That's where I sit. I challenge you to be the first person to get up and give a visitor Someone who looks tired, someone who wants the end row. <clears throat> the, I mean, the end of the row is like the best seat, right? Because you can get up every time somebody comes in. And it's like you're staying awake because you got to get up. But be that person who will go out of the way to make someone welcome in church. Now, Jesus says, you've done well. Look at this verse. We're at verse 12. These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I, and then verse 13, I know where you live. Uh, in fact, I think I was reading uh, last week in the, um, the message, Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase. He says, you sit underneath the throne of Satan, where Satan has his throne. He knows where they are, and yet you have survived in the midst of these pagan gods. So I'm giving you an A for being there and being loyal, which leads in the next one, being loyal to me and to my word. Their loyalty was displayed even through a person that we know only of his name in the book of Revelations, Antipas, which was a martyr. Uh, King James says martyr. Anybody carrying a King James? Doesn't King James say you were a martyr? Yeah. That's the Greek, the Greek word for witness is martyr. It's interesting that there they would transliterate, and in most modern translations, they'll say witness. But this man was killed for his faith in Christ Jesus. And I want you to know, it's easy to be a fan. It's easy to be loyal to groups, to sporting teams, to organizations when they are successful. I mean, just go ask a Bears fan. Sorry. Yeah. When they're winning, I know, I know. When they're winning... It's good. It's good. Life is good. But often they haven't been. Kind of like a Cubs fan, too. I'm from Illinois, but we're Cardinal fans where I live. And Cardinals will always be ahead of the Cubs at the end of the season. Always. So just, that's just life. But you know, I'll get beat up later on. But when you're winning, when you are successful, loyalty seems to come easy. But when they're not winning, when they're struggling, when your church is struggling, when your life is struggling... Christ says, be faithful, be loyal to me. Verse 13, 
you remain true in my name. Uh, the actual Greek word there is the word for grip, to hold on to, to embrace. And I would say, hold on to him. Your loyalty asks you to hold the hand of the nail-scarred Savior. How many of you have ever taken your child's hand or your spouse's hand, your boyfriend or girlfriend's hand, or someone that you were trying to calm down, you held their hand? What comfort holding that hand brings to that person who's struggling. Hold hands with the Savior. Show your loyalty that way. D plus in health. Now, <clears throat> health class was always that blow-off class in school. I'm sorry, any health teachers. My son is an art teacher, and he says that's the same way they feel. You know, it's like you can get a D or an F in art and still pass, you know, your grade. Probably, I don't know if health is the same way. I'll have to ask him that. Some of you who are school teachers can tell me. But Nobody cared about what you're supposed to eat, the five, you know, food groups or whatever, and you're supposed to have so many of these every day. Who cares? You know, especially when you're young, you eat anything you want, and your, your body type is perfect or whatever. You know, you don't gain or lose because you're burning so much. Nobody wants to hear about smoking because that was fashionable, and you wanted to smoke, and you wanted to be the in crowd. I mean, these are the things I can remember from high school. But when the teacher said, next week we're going to be having sex ed in the health class, everybody showed up. They want to know something about that. They want to know what the teacher knew to see if he knew more or she knew more than they did. And it seems that these Christians here in this city of Pergamum have been studying or at least learning from the pagans. The Nicolaitans and those who had followed the teacher teachings of Balaam. Do you remember Balaam? No? All right, I'm going to help you this one. Who's the prophet that's on the donkey that the donkey starts talking? And I'm not talking about Shrek either. <laughs> Balaam was summoned by Balak, who is the king of this area that the... That, the Jews were so numerous, they were taking over these lands where they were coming. You know, God has given them this promised land and they're, as they're moving and, and growing. And um, he had heard what's going to happen. And he, he recruits Balaam to try to get a way to get these Jews to, you know, kind of settle down and be like us. Because we, we want to get along. Well, like three or four different times. If you read Numbers, I think it's 22 through about 26 you will find how Balaam wasn't going to go. He said, you can't offer me all the gold and all the silver, and I won't go and tell God's people to be unfaithful to you. And I think it's truly, there are either four or five uh, orations that you have in scriptures there. You can study what he said, because he keeps summoning him. He sends, he sends more honorable princes to come back and try to get him to come. And finally he goes and he says, hey, I'm not going to do anything. But interestingly enough, by the end of the book of Numbers, by the 31st chapter, I think it is, we see that the men of Israel had become um, intimate with the pagan women of the area and had eaten the sacrifice, the food sacrificed to those pagan gods and had sexual relationships with them and basically brought the demise at that time to uh, the Jews of Balaam's day. Now... This is what's happening here in Smyrna, excuse me, Pergamum. Um, verse, I'm at verse 14. You have people there 
who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Now, Hebrew word Balaam is two words put together. It can either be swallow or curse and people. So swallow people up, curse people. Interestingly, if you were here on the Ephesus sermon, the word Nicolation means conquer people. So it's almost like two similar words that the Balaamites, if you will, and the Nicolaitans are all subduing the people with these pagan practices. You know that story. Uh, they were eating food sacrificed to idols and be committing sexual immorality, he says. They were being unfaithful to God in physical ways as well as spiritual ways. In fact, many theologians, many preachers preach this passage and say this is the compromised church. The church that had a belief but yet followed the practices of pagans, non-believers. And I wonder today in 2021, are we too a compromised people? Claiming to know Christ Jesus, but yet following and practicing the deeds of the evil one. There were Nicolaitans there, as I said, just as there were in Ephesus. This church was undoubtedly divided and compromised. So to them, I give them a D plus. And then finally, of the grade card here, a D plus in conduct. Uh, I struggle with telling you this story. I'll just try to make it as uh, generic as I possibly can. In sixth grade, I got a D plus in conduct. Citizenship, I think, is what we called it in those days. Conduct slash citizenship. Any of you remember getting those kind of grades? Not, not the D plus. I mean, grades in citizenship or conduct, yeah. Uh, I got into a uh, little bit of peer pressure, did things that uh, kids were getting in trouble from, but I was the one who got caught by the teacher, sixth grade. Mr. Hayes, man, he was mean. He had to be every bit of 62, my age now. He's an old man, no hair, big, angry voice, bad breath, pretty much like me. Uh, but in any event, he caught me doing something I shouldn't be doing, gave me a D-plus in citizenship for that quarter. And when the grade cards came, and I've told you about this before, you had to take them home, mom and dad had to sign them. If it was a good grade card, my dad would sign it. If it was a bad one or, you know, anything less than straight A's, my mom had to sign it. So that was just probably says something about my personality too. But mom went to the elementary school to talk to the teacher why Clifton got a D-plus in conduct. And then the whole story comes out, all of his activities and how the teacher says, of all the students, I couldn't believe that Clifton would be the one involved in this because Clifton, I know, is you know, active at his church. He's a Boy Scout. I mean, he, he's in beta club. He's in band. He plays on the baseball team. Why would he do these things? I'm way past sixth grade, as many as you are. But sometimes... We get caught up doing the things, either by peer pressure, wanting to be popular, wanting to be the one that everyone laughs at or wants to be like. And we find ourselves in our personal conduct getting a D plus from the Lord. So that's the grade card. Here's the homework. Let, if you're clinging on to Jesus, he says, you've held on to my name. You need to let go of the sin. Let go of the sin in your life. And sometimes it may not look 
popular. It may not be what everybody else is doing. You may not go to the same places. You may not practice the same things. You may not be involved with the things that the in crowd do. But your homework, he says, is let go of sin. Some of you have heard of Rick Barry, maybe. How about Brent Barry, played for the Spurs? Yeah. He has another, he's, I think he had five sons or has five sons. All of them at some level have played basketball, either collegiate or professional. Uh, the most recent one uh, is Canyon uh, Barry that was going to play on the Olympic three-on-three three three team, and he got hurt, So, and I don't think even our team got, got that far. I think that we're playing in the basketball Olympic part today, but in any event, if you know the daddy, you'll, be, you'll know what he's known for. How many times did you not want to, I don't know, you didn't want to be the guy who stood out for the unpopular things? I mean, anybody here ever play basketball and shoot a granny shot? It's amazing to me that Shaq would say he'd rather have 0% than be one other video clip. I, I saw him saying, it's boring to shoot that way. Boring. But the guy who patterned it got a 90% average in free throws. And, and as I, I watched several clips of his trying to, because I really didn't frankly know him. I knew that there was somebody who used to shoot that way, but I had to look up who it was. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. And he said, you know, I don't care what it looks like. That's the one single job in basketball you have is that you come to the line, nobody else. And I wasn't a big basketball star, too, too short, too heavy, all those kind of things. And, and he said, it's the one thing you come to the line, the ball is the same for everybody. The distance is the same. The goal is the same. It's always there. And all you have to do is shoot. And the easiest thing to do that way, scientifically it's proven, is to do the underhand granny toss. But yet we won't do that. And in our lives, sometimes it's so simple to give. Yeah, we want to look cool. I know. That's what you all want to look cool. I saw the hands back there. You want to look cool. Well, it is cool to look like Jesus. And if you think it's not, you need to adjust your attitude. You need to let go of sin in your life. You also need to repent. And that, in fact, I think it's interesting how Jesus is repeating himself from his note to Ephesus where he says, basically, remember what you, how you were, repent, and then go do those things. And he's doing it for us again right now, telling us that we need to repent. That's your homework for this week. If you've been shooting this way in your life, it's time to go shoot like granny. Let go of sin. Repent for it those things that you've been shooting towards. And then finally, prep for finals. I couldn't stand finals week because all that meant was I didn't have to go to class and I was supposed to study more and I didn't like doing that. But uh, Jesus says, I'm coming. And, and his reference to coming back here is not his end time coming. It's a coming. He's going to come to that church and I'm going to help you fight with those people that have compromised their faith in me and are practicing pagan rituals or living immoral lives and being unfaithful to me, I'm going to come back to that church in that regard. So prep for the finals because the Lord is coming. Not only just in the end time, he is here every week wanting you to repent, to turn back, to let go of sin in your life. Because here's the reward as we look at this final thing, a reward. Now, 
let me try to explain that, why I put that on there like that. There are three, here's your foot stomper. Every, every letter co- closes with this, a foot stomper of he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's Jesus. You heard it in the Gospels. He would say the same thing. So he's banging the, t- the desk. He's telling you, listen up to this. And he says, for those of you who overcome, I will give you some of the hidden manna. And I will give you a white stone with a new name written on it that only him who receives it knows, basically. So... Make sense out of that, Cliff. Hidden manna. What is hidden manna? I know that they gave manna uh, in the Old Testament, right? When the children of Israel were struggling in the wilderness and God gave this bread. And I've heard about that. Or recall Jesus' words from John 6, where he says, I am the bread of life. In fact, let me just read that for you. I think we've got time. Let me, let me quickly get to John 6. Helps when you put your glasses on. You can see really a lot better. Verse 47 of chapter 6. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. Here's this bread that I think Jesus is talking about to this church. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So that, to me, helps me understand what the manna is. Well, what about this stone idea? Well, most theologians that I have read this past week, and uh, actually haven't heard a whole lot of sermons on that stone other than just strictly imaginations, but in that day... Voting, which will carry forward. I, I know that many times, if you've been a member of a club or an organization, sometimes there are voting for membership. And they have multicolored chips or stones and so many colors of this lets that person into that club. And so many co- colors of that, they'll keep that person from being a member of that club. But you were able to vote at that time with a stone. You cast your stone for a vote of a particular issue. So bear that with in mind. Manna is this special meal coming from Jesus, this, this stone to vote uh, that would get you access or admission to something or at least be able to have your voice. And then he says, on that stone is going to be engraved a name only known to the person who receives it. So think about it this way. Does your loved one or does your spouse, maybe your, your mom, your dad, do they have a special name for you that only you know? Or maybe some of your friends know. Anybody? Shake your heads occasionally. I know you're still awake. Not like the dog in the back of the car, you know. My nickname was always Sam. I've told you this before. At my dad's funeral, all these state troopers came up and kept saying, Sam, I'm so sorry. Sam, I'm sorry. And my kids say, who is Sam? Because they had not, Brenda doesn't call me Sam. Very, very few people still around call me Sam. If you want to start calling me Sam, I would immediately, if, you, if there was somebody in here named Sam, and you called out Sam, I'm sure my head would snap around because that's the name I responded to from my father. So, and Brenda will shoot me later. Your nickname? Don't say it. Tog. Tog. Brenda's from a little bitty city called Wee Tog. And all my friends, when I started dating her, started calling her Tog, T-A-U-G, Tog. You dating Tog? You out with Tog tonight? So later on, we'll be, uh, there'll be uh, pain and suffering at my house for sharing that. <laughs> but could you imagine 
Jesus giving you an engraved invitation to a dinner with him. You had engraved invitations probably from high school, maybe from college, maybe when you got married and you, you got these things and they were so precious. They had little pieces of rice paper in there. And if you had a high school, uh, I remember high school ones that had my name on a little card inserted inside of that fold up thing that had one envelope and another envelope you put it inside of. Didn't understand that, still don't understand the history of all that. But it was something you paid for and you got it probably with your class rings, sales or whatever like that. And you sent those out and you hoped that uncle so-and-so would send you a check or send you some cash in the mail, right? That was what we were doing at that point and then maybe you graduated in college you got more of those or maybe you got married and you had those and then my question is to you how many of you have leftover engraved invitations don't let the engraved invitation that Jesus has written your special name that only you and he know for each other to be unused he's inviting you to a special meal with him that is so personal, he knows that secret name for you. That's the reward of he who overcomes an engraved invitation to dinner. Stand with me, please, we pray. Our Father, perhaps there's someone today who needs to accept and acknowledge that in engraved invitation that you have extended to each one of us. Perhaps we have been more like those Nicolaitans or followed some of the Balaam teaching or, or at least instructions and compromised ourselves and allowed ourselves to be associated more with Satan, more with sin than with Jesus. That engraved invitation is extended to us if we'll only come and accept it, confess our sins and profess your son, Jesus, as Lord of our lives. What a relief, what, what a meal, what a celebration there will be for those who accept that invitation and build that relationship with your son. I pray if there's someone here today, Lord, who's never done that, that they would step forward. If they want to come and just kneel and pray or stand and pray, Lord, we've got folks that will come and pray with them. Whatever decision there is, I ask you to let your Holy Spirit move in our midst. Don't let the invitation go unanswered, for we ask it in Christ's name.